We started on our journey together with a paranormal investigation at Eloise Asylum. We left the asylum eager to learn the truth. We bought our own equipment and decided to document our findings. And we're here to share them with you. I'm Melissa. I'm Mandy. Welcome to our paranormal experience. Today, we are going to tell you not only the history, but the details of the paranormal investigation we joined at Eloise Psychiatric Asylum. Opening in 1830, Eloise wouldn't just be a psychiatric facility. It would serve as a general hospital as well. It started as a poorhouse in Hamtramck, Michigan. The poorhouse's residents were drunks, vagrants, vagabonds, pilferers, and brawlers. The building condition was deteriorating and had overcrowding issues. In 1833, Asianic cholera killed many people and left numerous orphans in the facility. The overcrowding led to deplorable conditions. In 1839, Wayne County paid $800 for a 160-acre farm in Nankin Mills Township, which is now known as Westland, Michigan. The land had been home to the Black Horse Tavern. Owned by the Torbert family, the tavern served as a stagecoach stop between Ypsilanti and Detroit, usually for people furthering on to Chicago down Michigan Avenue. Michigan Avenue was known as Old Chicago Road at this time and served as the main route there. The poor house would serve as the perfect place to get the city's needy out of sight. The Wayne County purchase of this land led to an addition on the tavern, which would be used to house the residents of the poorhouse. It was April 1st of 1935 when 35 residents were transferred from the Hamtramck location to the new Nankin Township location. I'm not exactly sure how moving 35 residents solved their overcrowding problem, Maybe there were other solutions in place as well. I really didn't come across that in my research. But most of the residents refused the move. They chose to stay in Hamtramck as the Westland location was described as being out in the wilderness. And they wanted to avoid the two-day stagecoach ride. That part is interesting because it's hard to imagine today that being a wilderness. And two days from Hamtramck to Westland. I mean, right now, and I think I feel like in bad traffic, it's 45 minutes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I like to think of it, you know, how it used to look. That's interesting. Two days. It's crazy. And I have never gotten the opportunity to think of any of these places as like rural. The current population of Westland being a Detroit suburb is like 81,000. We totally take our commutes today for granted. The hospital would remain in the Nankin Township Westland location and still does remain there today, at least what's left of it. Biddy Hughes was said to be the first resident to the facility admitted for insanity in 1841. 
I looked for anything that would indicate something more, something specific as to the reason she was admitted, but I was unable to find anything more than she was in her mid-30s and admitted by her family. She would live out her remaining 58 years at the Wayne County Poorhouse Eloise Hospital and is most likely buried at the facility's cemetery. I read somewhere that at that time there were no tests done for admitting people into the hospital. They just took people's word. Oh, right. So that's probably why there's no real background or and re- to why yeah. she was in there. At that time, the mentally ill were kept segregated from the other patients. The poor house patients would reside in the old tavern building with the caretaker, and the mentally ill were placed in chains sent to the barn to reside in the loft above the pigs. Other homes in the area would complain that they would hear shackles clanging, the insane hollering, and the pigs squealing all through the night. That sounds really scary. It does. Can you imagine just hearing that all night? That's like living in a horror movie. Yeah, and I think back then people didn't understand mental illness like they do now. Right. So, yeah, so those people had no idea what was going on yeah. or like why those people were acting that way, of course. One resident was reported as so dangerous that one person had to hold him down while another had to hold his neck to a wall with a forked stick to force feed him. That's sad. To be honest, I think I would be crabby like that, too, if, like, all the other people and the pigs were keeping me up all night, like, screaming and squealing. But, like, a fork stick? Jeez. It's a little harsh. As more residents came to the facility, more buildings were erected. In 1846, the first building was finished. It had two cells for drunks, violent residents, or the insane. The mental patients would remain in the barn until 1869 when the mentally ill were moved to a more appropriate building that had been built on the grounds specifically for them, to the relief of their surrounding homes. But the chains, unfortunately, would remain, segregating the mentally ill from the other residents until 1881. It was 1881 when the facility got its first medical superintendent, who came forward with a more humane approach. Dr. E. O. Bennett removed the shackles from the mentally ill. He would remain at Eloise until his passing in a tragic car crash. His son, his junior, who had been part of Eloise since he was a boy, would become superintendent of the tuberculosis division at Eloise in 1921. These were the days when not much was understood about mental health and asylums in general were not hard to gain entrance to. Honestly, if we had the same criteria today that we did then, I would be a candidate for commitment to one. Reasons to be institutionalized included, but were not limited to. Hysteria, generally experienced by women, A woman's husband would often claim that she was experiencing hysteria. Laziness. There was probably like a high standard of work ethic back then. I mean, some people had children just for the sole purpose of more hands on the farm. I mean, if you're not earning your keep, off to the asylum. 
That might not be so bad nowadays. <laughs> Asthma. Not well understood, healthcare workers of these times felt the condition led to insanity. Having asthma didn't necessarily mean you were insane, but it meant you were at high risk for it. Epilepsy, which must have been a terrifying condition for not only those experiencing it, but those witnessing it. Very misunderstood. It was the same basic reasoning as asthma. Epileptics were not insane, just prone to insanity. Epileptics were also thought to be possessed at one time, too. I mean, it makes sense. When they were having seizures and it, fa- flailing. and Yeah, it must have been really, really hard to understand that back then. Right. You would be scared to have a, a, a condition that you needed medical help for, but people thought you were crazy. Right. Jealousy. Husband cheating on you when you're angry about it? Don't worry. He'll just claim that you're hysteric and experiencing jealousy and have you institutionalized. Did it go the other way? What do you mean? Well, what if the wife was cheating on the husband? Could she probably not oh, at that no. time? Yeah, no. not at that time, I think right? that women just were institutionalized like that. I think, like, if men were institutionalized, they'd have, like, a good reason. I bet you the reason, the main reason that, you know, men were not institutionalized like women was because they generally were the breadwinners. So if a woman lost her husband, she basically lost her home. Yeah, that makes sense. Bad treatment by husband. It's not clear if this was something put on the books to possibly like remove a woman from an abusive household. And maybe since they had nowhere to go, they were placed in the facility. Or if they viewed the wife as insufficient, resulting in bad treatment from her husband. I don't know, it might be like an old form of victim blaming. I'm not really sure. It's not really clear. It sounds like it. You know, I mean, I'm all for removing somebody from somebody abusive, but, and this might go back to what we just said about the husband being the breadwinner of the family, but get rid of the the person that's causing the trouble. Like, Right. Well, get- I think that if they removed her from the home, I don't think there were laws back then. I think that actually, generally, it was seen as like, mind your own business, right? Like a husband had the right to beat his wife. I think... In the United States, husbands had the right to rape their wives until, like, 93. 1993? 1993. I'm not 100% sure on that date, but I'm at least close. Wow. Yeah. I don't even have anything to say. It's horrible. Menstrual deranged, and I definitely fall into this category, so don't get bad PMS. You're definitely in the asylum for that. Yep. Desertion by husband. So, I mean, this kind of seems to go with, like, what I was saying could possibly be the bad treatment by husband. Um, Like, when they took a woman in because she could no longer take care of herself and afford her property because her husband had deserted her. Imagine that life where your husband just left you and, like, you couldn't make the ends meet and you just, like, went to the asylum. So what what do you think they did with, like, the children, if there were children? I don't know. Like, I wonder if they had to go to the asylum, too. Maybe. They did have, like, kid areas. Women in particular were institutionalized for behaving in ways that men just did not agree with. 
they were definitely considered the lesser sex. A woman's husband, brother, father, or even her neighbor could take her in for things considered normal today, such as not having her menstrual cycle, depression after the death of a loved one, or even the use of abusive language. I suppose your quality of life in these days really depended on if your husband actually loved you or even liked you and wanted to keep you around for the long haul. That would be really hard to live in fear like that. It would. I don't think I would get married. I think you had to, though. Didn't you? I don't know. I mean, there were, like, old ladies with cats. Like, did they live with their parents? I think their parents threw them out. The cats wouldn't commit me to an asylum. I'll stay with the cats. It was 1894 that the poorhouse took on a new name, Eloise, after the Detroit postmaster's daughter. The hospital had a few different names over the years, but this is the one that really stuck. When my mother was young, her classmates would taunt each other with threats of being sent to Eloise. Like, you better not do that. You'll end up in Eloise. (laughs) That's funny. The hospital had grown enough at this time to be considered a small city. It literally had its own zip code, as well as a post office, a 15-man police force, a fire department, a railroad and trolley station, a laundry facility, bakery, cannery, slaughterhouse, amusement hall, theater, powerhouse, a dairy herd, dairy barns, piggery, root cellar, tobacco curing building, and a 500-acre farm. In 1940, there were 56 cooks on site. There was even a schoolhouse on site and low-cost housing for employees. The complex consisted of 75 buildings that were connected by underground tunnels. It was at this time the largest psychiatric facility in the United States. There was at least one tunnel that ran under Michigan Avenue, or Old Chicago Road, that led to the cemetery that still sits overgrown. The grave markers, simple slabs of stone with only numbers to identify more than 7,000 people that are buried there. I always found it sad when people just have numbers. It is. You know, it's like... I mean, I know they don't care, like they're dead. I mean... They don't care. Their spirits might care. I don't know. They probably don't think they... I just feel that, you know, people... Just something more personal. People should be remembered. The hospital erected a tent for the TB patients to get open-air therapy, which was, like, super, super popular. And did you listen to that episode of Morbid? Like, Morbid just did an episode, and they said that they used to put people on horses... Yes. And have them, like, ride so that the air would go into their lungs. Yes, I did. I did hear that episode. That was funny. So, unfortunately, though, the patients were sent to the TB open air therapy at Eloise, usually in their last days, after they had exhausted all of their funds at other facilities. There were two tents for therapy, one for men and one for women. The TB tent facility would continue until 1923. 
During the Great Depression, the population at Eloise soared. They started housing for unemployed men as well as the mentally ill. There were more than 8,000 patients, and over 50% of them were mentally ill. At its peak, the population went up to 10,000. It was at this time that reports of questionable conditions began to surface. There were reports of patient abuse, deplorable living conditions, and neglect. In 1939, a Detroit news reporter described patients as staring at walls and their feet. The facility was overpopulated and, with nothing to do, a lack of physical or organized activity, the residents were bored. In the future, that would change, and they would have a yearly carnival with patients running the booths, and they even had a patient-run coffee house. The goal would change from permanent residency to preparation for return to society. I'm glad that they changed the way they were doing it because I think before when they were so bored and had no stimulation, if they were put in there when they really weren't insane, I feel like that would make you go insane. I mean, they've definitely shown like solitary confinement and things like that. And I know that they weren't really solitary confined, but it it sounds like mentally they kind of were. I mean, that can really have an impact on your mental health, like a negative impact. So I think it it's good. I mean, what you can really see in this story, the advances that they've made over the years to mental health, just the way they look at it in general. In 1945, they attempted to rebrand the hospital. Changing the name to Wayne County General Hospital, Eloise became known for its new approach, including electroshock therapy, the lobotomy, and sensory deprivation. But they did have music therapy, which sounds fun. Oh, well, that was nice of them. Yeah. Eloise was also home to the first kidney dialysis unit in Michigan. In the 60s, they were experimenting with brain chemistry treating patients with pills and powders. This probably had a lot of influence on some of the mental health treatments that we utilize today. After the closure in 1982, it was said that you could find bits of brains and other bodily parts and fluids used for experimentation, as well as documents outlining strange medical procedures in the tunnels and basements of the facility. There have been multiple reports of a woman dressed in white roaming the grounds. She is most often seen on upper floors and roof of the buildings. People often report hearing the eerie moans and screams of former patients when they tour the facility. Today, only about four buildings are left of the original 78, which includes the K. Baird building. In 2018, The city sold what is left to developers for a dollar, and it seemed that it's destined to become an affordable community for senior citizens. I'm not sure if this plan has been changed. I don't know if they're actually going to make it a senior living facility anymore. It seems like they're making way too much money. Right. So they are offering paranormal tours at Eloise. You can take one for, depending on time of the year, I think $80 to $120. Me and Mandy did go on a paranormal tour. I've always wanted to go visit Eloise because I love all things supernatural in abandoned buildings. 
I think going in, I mean, I've kind of been interested in this stuff for a while that I did believe, you know, that hauntings are possible and ghosts were real. It was exciting to go with Melissa because her viewpoints are a little bit different than mine. So I've been telling people, like, if there's a scale from one to 100, 50 would be like on the fence. I was actually a little bit maybe lower than 50, like 40. We'll go 40. So I I wasn't really even on the fence. I didn't believe in ghosts. But I thought, you know, they're possible. I always respect other people's beliefs. I think the stories are cool. After going to Eloise, my number has changed. And I'm going to say I'm more toward like 60, 65. Yeah, she she has definitely moved up the scale. So much so that she has bought some equipment and I'm excited to have a new friend that's weird like me to go do these things with. I've been to like paranormal ghost hunts before, but they weren't like this. Like this is a big asylum. It used to be 78 buildings. Um, Now only a few are left. We were only able to go into one building. It was really cool to look at the structure from outside We just kind of wandered around for about 10, 15 minutes. Um, You couldn't walk the whole grounds. I mean, because the grounds are very, very large, but a lot of what remains is just in bad condition. And there was a lot of like dangerous things that were fenced off. Right. And I think they mentioned about the tunnels that were underneath the buildings to get from one building to another, that they had purposely caved those in because people were going into them and there's just a liability of people getting hurt down there. So we headed in for our tour and, you know, we checked in, we got our bracelets. What they did was they separated everyone into four different groups. For this particular tour, we weren't allowed on the fifth floor because they were removing asbestos. And we weren't allowed to tour the first floor because they were making a haunted house. I don't know, Melissa. I'm I'm totally excited. <laughs> so it was like the best thing I had heard all night. <laughs> they they split us all into four different groups. And the purpose of this is so the tour guides can keep track of you. They know nobody's getting hurt. You know, nobody's doing anything shady. And everybody starts on a different floor. There's a specific amount of time. I don't know what it is. How long would you say we spent on each floor? Um, I think they were doing it around an hour on each floor. It seems right. Yeah. And they were really organized. The investigators would communicate with each other when they were switching floors. Um, it seemed like they were accounting for all of the members of the group. Um, you know, I, I feel like they did everything to keep everybody safe and in order. So we were in the orange group and we went with our tour guide and we started on the fourth floor. The way it worked was our tour guide really took us on a tour of that floor, um, just let us know anything notable, told us any stories he knew, would give us about 10, 15 minutes, just however much time was left over, to just free roam the floor. And during this time, we were able to use their equipment. Um, He had what's called a boo bear. And what that is, is a teddy bear. So I believe it has like an EMF field. And when you put your hand too close to it or anything is too close to it, it's going to light up and it also has an alarm. He had a flashlight. He had two little balls. And when you roll the the balls, they would light up. Or if you touched it even, it would light up. He had the divining rods which I had used before at a previous ghost hunt, and I thought they worked. They did not work here at Eloise. 
I don't know if I was doing something wrong or we just didn't get any activity. Lots of people had ghost apps on their phones that they were using. He had EMF readers. I feel like he had more stuff. I can't think of it now, Melissa. He did. He did have more stuff, but I cannot recall what it was either. So me and Mandy, we toured, we did our first tour of the fourth floor. There was peeling paint everywhere. The whole place was dirty. Bird poop. Tons and tons <laughs> of bird poop on the fourth floor. It was absolutely disgusting. Just looking at the windows, they just looked like they were covered in a hundred years of grime, and they probably were. I'm sure they were. I felt super disgusting when I left. Like I had to it was like one of those times where like you have to shower before yeah, you do anything else. You do. But with that being said, like we wanna let you know that we're not saying that like as a negative thing. I think it's good that they left it how it was. It made the tour that much more authentic. It wouldn't be as fun if it was cleaned up. That this is true. Right? I totally agree with this. So we do our tour on the fourth floor and we stay like in the end room and we're using the divining rods. Nothing's happening. It's still light outside and every, you know, nobody's gotten to know each other yet. Nobody's comfortable. You know, it's just kind of the tour just started. So we move on to the next few floors and we do our tours. It's the same as the fourth floor. Um, We do play with like the cat toys a little bit. I realized you really kind of had to push them to get them to go, like to get them to roll. They weren't as smooth rolling as like a lot of balls, but nothing happened. As we would go, sometimes the tour guide would stop and he would put his equipment, you know, just like around us. And there would be, you know, like a common area with tables and chairs. And we would all just take a seat. And let me just tell you, our butts must have been really dirty because these were, these chairs had been there. Yeah, they were really dusty. There was even a bed in one of them, and people sat on it. Me and Mandy did, and we weren't brave enough. It looked like it had been like a leaky ceiling had been over it. I can only hope it was a leaky ceiling because anything else, yeah, I don't even want to think about what it was. We sat down in that area, not on the bed, and... (laughs) You know, he put all of his stuff out and he was trying to like make contact and he's got his little flashlight out. If you're not familiar, you know, you you screw the top on the flashlight just to where it's about to make contact. But nothing really happened. Did you see anything notable happen in there? No, I didn't. No. I do want to make note that the tour group that was there before us, their guide, when we were switching floors, their guide said that somebody on the bed said that they were touched. They did, and that was, I think, what prompted people to get on the bed. Yes, but I nobody in our group. I didn't want to be touched that bad. <laughs> no, not on that bed. <laughs> <laughs> but then after that, we went to a hydrotherapy room. And the story is that a little girl passed away, unfortunately, in the hydrotherapy room during a hydrotherapy session. Our tour guide, Dan, put his stuff around the room and tried to make contact with the little girl or whomever may have been there. There was also a nurse named Rose that they were aware of that they were trying to make contact with. I didn't see much of what happened. Um, I was actually across the room from Mandy and a couple people had stood in front of me, which made me stop recording. I was recording and I had to stop recording because somebody stepped in front of me. 
As soon as I looked around the person, one of the balls rolled all the way across the room to Mandy's feet, which was just super creepy. I mean, this building is really sturdy. It's really old and it doesn't appear to be slanting in any way. And even if it was, I don't see the ball have going that path like that. I agree. And there were two balls and only the one rolled by me. So I do think that if the floor is crooked, the other one would have moved. Right. The ball did roll by my feet, but not close enough that I would have been able to make the, the ball light up. I wasn't near it to touch it, but it did light up. And even the tour guide, Dan, had said that I was not close enough to be making it light up. So Dan did ask me if I had any children. He said that she liked me. Um, I've got three boys, and I don't know what she would want to do with any of them. <laughs> but <laughs> I just found it interesting. I don't know, maybe because I'm a mom, she was attracted to me. Maybe it was just coincidental. I don't know. But I do want to note that the side that the ball was on, my arm did feel really cold on that side, like almost goosebumps. And my other arm did not feel that way. I attributed it to possibly a spirit being next to me. It was definitely a cool thing to watch. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, a ball rolling across the floor. I wish I had it on camera, but it just so happens that I don't. It was a really cool, cool thing to see. Then me and Mandy headed down to the doctor's quarters. This is like free roam time. We get down there and we're, you know, just goofing around. We don't have any of the paranormal investigation tools. We pulled out our flashlight. We had flashlights with us. There's no power in this building. So we had to have flashlights. Mandy set her flashlight to... You know, the point where when you're turning the top, it's just about to go on or off and set it on the table. And we instantly, upon talking out loud, saying just random things like, you know, is there anyone here, did get a response on the flashlight. But we all know that this is not like a really reliable thing. If you hit the flashlight the right way, it could make connection or you know, the connection could stop. Right. Or I think we'd also said if we bumped the table or anything like that, it it could turn off and on. Right. Mandy, out of the blue, just pulls another flashlight out of her purse. It's like a small flashlight. I'm assuming you keep that in there regularly. Do you keep that in there all the time or did you just bring it? No, I I did just bring it, but it's a small one that, that you would put on your keychain. Right. It's a very small flashlight that women carry with that. You know, I see women carry these with them all the time. It also has the turn top. And so, you know, she set that flashlight to where it was going to turn on or off, you know, just with a tap, you know, very easily and set it down on the table. I thought it was so, so crazy because we said out loud something along the lines of, is there anyone here that wants to make contact with us? And one flashlight went off and the other flashlight went on, not at the same time, one right after the other. And that was really, really interesting. It it was. I felt like it was a validation that it wasn't just coincidental. And I, one thing that made me chuckle, um, there was a trash bin in the room with us. And we did hear something making noise in there. 
And Melissa asked if there was a rat in there and the flashlight came on. So we thought that was funny that we got an intelligent response to the rat. So who knows? And we did actually get a response with the one flashlight going off and the other one coming back on. We actually had that experience in that same room in that same we were probably in there what do you think 10 minutes 10 15 minutes we had that happen twice and both times it was when we asked a question and i thought that that was really neat that it happened more than once we went down to the second floor it was mainly like office areas i guess the department of human services had um built offices there um after the closure of the hospital and Used it for whatever. I mean, we found like HIV flyers and just, I think they used it for vaccinations in general. I think it was some sort of like clinic. That was changed into a bunch of offices. It was kind of like a maze. So it was kind of cool at some points, but nothing significant happened. No, I, I agree. The The best thing that happened there is that that's the floor we got our snacks. Oh, we did get snacks there <laughs> and it was amazing. Uh, it was so good to sit down down at that point because it it was very hot that day so there's no electric so there's no air conditioning it was the water was ice cold and and there are elevators but you can't you cannot use them yeah you cannot use them so we got we got some exercise and the water was many many stairs the water was really good after all that the next floor that we toured was the basement as soon as we got down to the basement i mean first of all I was relieved because it was so much cooler. It was a lot cooler. Yeah. Like 10 degrees difference. But on the way down to the basement, you could smell the mold. And I did read, and I don't think I told you this, Mandy, the basement was previously flooded and had been, it had been pumped. Oh. Which explains a lot. It does. I don't know how long they, they've been touring down there now, like- I know that our tour guide had been doing these tours for about a month. It seemed like he had been down there before, but he didn't seem terribly familiar with it either. Right. Or at least he seemed like he thought that some things had changed since he'd been down there previously. I get the impression that it was flooded for like years. Oh, there was in some spots you could still see water on the floor. There was. I just assumed water. that maybe. Um, but the basement was. I mean, it was very moldy. You could smell it right on the stairs. It was not that creepy though. Like it was cool. It was definitely cement. You know, it was. There were holes everywhere in the walls. There were brick walls that were just tumbling. You know, they they looked like somebody had knocked a hole into them. Like, he had joked at one point that he had, like, ran through one, or we said something about him being Roadrunner. Yes, yeah. yeah. I didn't get, like, any creepy feelings down there. I didn't either. I mean, as far as basements go, I I do feel all basements have a a little bit of creepiness to them just because they're dark, And but this one, I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to be down there by myself, I'm not going to lie, but I wasn't that creeped out by it. I would be creeped out if I was by myself. Actually, I was by myself for a moment down there, and I did start to get creeped out, but I was just somewhere I'd never been before, like away from my group, too. We were told that going down there, that there was a spirit that touches women. We did not hear of that while we were there. Nobody in our group talked about it. We didn't hear about anybody from any other groups have any experiences. 
but that is what they said. And the other thing that I, I found this creepy, like, not in a supernatural way, but, like, just, you know, a real life way. They were talking about the maintenance man that used to work down there. They found, I don't know if it was, like, after he quit working there or while he was still working there, but they had found pictures of the women patients. I remember this conversation. That was creepy. On, like, so many different levels, you know? In a big hospital like that, I think that there has to be somebody creepy in that hospital. You know, I mean, this thing was huge. Right. There's going to be creepy people there. And it's unfortunate, but you you can't filter them all out, you know? No. And, I mean, I would imagine being a maintenance person, he probably had a master key to every room. Right. And, you know, those patients were vulnerable, locked in their rooms and... You know, when people were also trying to creep each other out, like when we went down in the basement, there was like whistling behind us. And it seemed weird, too loud to be like something paranormal, though. It did, but we didn't have a clue where it was coming from, which was weird for a minute, I think. It was, but we did figure out, you know, it was coming from another person. It wasn't coming from anything like paranormal in any way. And so we toured the basement. Nothing really happened. Nothing good and we were tired so i think this was like kind of break time you know we did the tour and then we just kind of sat down and i I don't know if mandy wanted to get up but i didn't i was just kind of stuck in the chair for a little while at the end of our basement tour was when free roam started so we were allowed to free roam the the building for an hour and a half how they worked it is the floor your tour guide ended on would be the floor your tour guide would stay on Whatever floor you went to, you would interact with the tour guide that was like assigned to that floor. You could use their equipment, you know, talk to them, you know, whatever you needed to do and just free roam the building. We rested for a little while. And then when it became free roam time, we, me and Mandy, we decided to leave our tour guide and go up to the floor where we had had the flashlight activity and visit the hydrotherapy room where the little girl passed away because we had had the activity in there of the ball rolling to Mandy's feet. So we did start in the doctor's quarters where we had the flashlight activity prior. I don't think we really got a lot of activity the second time. I don't time. think there was anything. The yeah, time. I want to say there was nothing. If there was, maybe one time. Nothing notable at all. No, nothing notable. Um, but not to backtrack, but like on the same floor, the one thing that Melissa and I did find entertaining is there were two dead bird skeletons on the floor. These weren't just like, like, these weren't dead birds. Like these were were dead bird skeletons. Yeah, just the skeletons. It looked like something that came out of the desert and had been picked clean by buzzards. That's the only (laughs) way I can describe it. It did. Yeah. I, I guess there's birds in there all the time. Yeah, they said that they get through the ventilation system. These poor birds obviously didn't make it, but not scary, but weird. The fact that they were still laying there because I feel like they had to have been there for a while. Yeah, like nobody. Nobody's going to pick those. I mean, I didn't, but. <laughs> <laughs> right, but <laughs> right. We're, t- we're, we're just touring. We don't, we don't clean up dead birds. We're no. not dead bird removal here. So during the one of the free roam times, we went to the fourth floor, and the investigator there asked Melissa and I, did we want to be put in one of the rooms with the door shut? So, of course, we said yes, because we're weird. And we went in there. Surprisingly, 
I mean, maybe it's because I wasn't alone, but it didn't seem that scary to me. Um, I didn't see there were there was lights coming in through the window because you know there's lights outside street there's a street light in the parking lot I believe, um or at least part of the parking lot, and it was like a five minute thing I believe. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't long, and she did say that we would be locked in the room. Like, do you want to be locked in the room? And I was like, okay, right, sure. But then we went to leave the room, and I really didn't realize we were like locked in the room. Yeah, I didn't really think about us actually being locked in. I thought that was just her choice of words for, do you want to be in the room by yourself and I'll shut the door? Right. But we were actually, like, locked in the room. And it wasn't because the door was locked. It was because there was no handle on the inside of the door. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't think about that part. So I went to try to open the door. And I'm, like, grabbing, like, pieces of the window. Like, you know what I mean? Just trying to, like, grasp anything with my fingers. And I cannot get the door open. (laughs) It is, um... It is it is shut. It is flush. I cannot get my fingers like wrapped around anything. And then the door just opened. And I said to Melissa, how did the door open? Did the door just open? And like- I'm like, it did, but I, I don't know. I don't know how it opened. But I did like I did think about it and I did like bang on the door because I wanted out, right? So I banged on it. So I don't know if I could have banged on the door and maybe like it popped open. Right. And I do think that is a possibility. It, it definitely it could be. It like that's but really what happened, but it could be. I agree. I don't think that's what happened, but it, it could be what happened. But there was nobody else in the hallway at the time. The guide wasn't even there anymore. And it, like she was around the corner, like down the hall, yeah, but she like wasn't she by us anymore. Come back for us, I think. Hopefully, <laughs> oh, yeah, hopefully. Jeez. Well, he, our our tour guide did mention they have to do an entire walkthrough before they leave. But man, I would be so mad if I was like stuck in there for like an hour. Yeah. Like during the end of the tour, that would be. Oh. That would be bad. Yeah, I would be so mad. But we weren't because the door opened. And we left. (laughs) (laughs) We were free. The one thing that they told us when we left that we need to tell the spirits, don't follow us. You're not welcome. And we did forget to do that until we were like almost halfway home. (laughs) Yeah. Snow, every time something happens, we blame Art. (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) It's all Art. It's his fault. So then after that, we went to the hydrotherapy room again. And that's where we got the flashlights out we had borrowed, I think, an EMF reader from the tour guide. We had. I think we had our phones. I was using my phone to record. Not very well, I will say, but. So uh, I think we did We did get some activity. We got some stuff that we wanted um, Dan to review. We actually had a lot of activity in that area. When And when we were in the hydrotherapy room, me and Mandy pulled out our flashlights and I was recording with my phone. We only had one flashlight out. But the flashlight really corresponded with answering a couple questions, it seemed like. Also, we did notice that when the flashlights were going off, the EMF reader was reading higher. It did seem like activity. And unfortunately, when I was recording it, I did not have the whole flashlight in my frame because we also had an EMF reader on the table. And I was trying to get the EMF reader in the frame of my phone. So I can tell you that we weren't touching the flashlight, but I mean, you're watching a video to where you can't see me not touch the flashlight. Better recording in the future. I'll try. But- right. And and I do think that 
you know, we can all, oh, that was faked or whatever. I mean, believe what you want. It yeah. it, it, that's fine. Everyone has an opinion. But it's really, really hard, I realize, to record something in the dark because you can't really see where your your camera's focused on. Right. And especially because we're also not paying attention because, I, you know, you're doing other things. Correct. And that did make it really difficult. Um, I do have a stand for my phone. So next time we may take that with us mm-hmm. um, to, you know, have something to prop my phone on and, you know, get a bigger area of like room. Right. We can practice first before we start recording to make sure we have everything in the frame. We did ask, you know, oh, you know, there was a little girl. She passed away in here. Like, did you know her? And the flashlight did nothing. And we asked a few questions. And I can't offhand remember exactly what they were. But I believe that there were three. Like, is someone here with us? And our flashlight not just, like, turned on or off. It actually blinked on and then off. Do you want to talk to us? Blinked on and off again. And then Mandy asked if it was the little girl and the flashlight did not respond. And then she asked if it was Rose, the nurse, and the flashlight did respond. So we thought that that was interesting. And we thought we would go show our tour guide, Dan. We proceeded to go down to the basement where he was stationed. And I can't recall what the first thing was that happened when we walked down there. Mandy, do you? He was sitting at the table. And I think there might have been a couple people down around there. But he had the boo bear was sitting kind of behind him. He had the flashlights on the table. The EMF reader was propped up. There was a piano behind him. So the boo bear and the EMF reader were on the piano. Because in the basement, they used to do like plays or like pageants or whatever. Yeah, entertainment for the patients. Yeah, entertainment for the patients. The, The boo bear was going off. The EMF reader was going off. The flashlight was going off and on, and he had an app on his phone that would say words. It was uh, like a white noise app, and I forget what it's called, but it would say certain words, and it just seemed like he was really getting a lot of activity. So we decided to sit down at the table with him, and he reviewed our video or audio that we took, and then he proceeded to ask questions about stuff in the basement, and we helped participate in that. The other people in the basement, too, I feel like it's important to say that they they left. Right. This was basically the whole, we, we sat there for 45 minutes, and this was basically just us and the tour guide. Um, another tour guide did walk down. He did not stay long because apparently he does not like the basement. Yeah, and I think another couple had stopped by for a second. One more tour guide named Tom did come down. He did hang out for like a few minutes, um, but he didn't stay too long. There were, you could see like a couple people like come in and out, like you could see their flashlights very far away from us on the other side of the basement. We were basically alone with our tour guide this whole time. And we asked a variety of questions. They really seemed to be answered by, you know, the boo bear, the lights would go off and the alarm would go off. And sometimes in correspondence with the white noise app. Right. And one thing that we did get a lot of is the name Art. We were thinking, um, based on some of the questions that were asked, that Art played the piano. I think that's what he told us during some of the questions. Yeah, and I'm actually going to play a couple of those clips for you. So stick around and, and listen to those. 
It was definitely interesting. Yeah, it was it was interesting, um, different for sure. I mean, I've had activity before, but I do feel like that was a lot in a row in a short amount of time. I was a little freaked out at a point. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> she I was. calmed down the next day. <laughs> the white noise box started saying things like evil and demon. And when I asked out loud, are you evil? You know, the bells would go off and the lights and are you a demon? You know, the same thing. And I was like, we have to go. We have to leave. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's not a demon. It's lying. <laughs> It's just trying to scare you, Melissa. <laughs> it did. But I calmed down and, and stopped letting it scare me. And um, I did also ask how many spirits were there. I also asked, was there more than 10 spirits in the room? And the bells went off. I asked if there was more than 20 spirits in the room. And the bells went off. I feel like you can kind of hear a possible slight yes on the white noise. It's kind of questionable. I asked if there were more than 30 spirits in the room and the, the bell response, the audio response was a little bit delayed, but you can audibly hear over the white noise app, there's more and then the bells go off. And Um, we didn't notice it at the time. No, we did not hear it. It was during the playback. Melissa heard it. Yeah, and I do have that audio for you. So when you're listening to our audio recordings, they're actual videos from my phone. Like you can see the lights going off. Clearly, you're not going to be able to see the lights going off. But when you hear the the bell noise, that is the reaction from the Boo Bear. And you'll be able to hear that on the recording. We can't decide if we 100% trust the equipment and trust the apps and, you know, trust everything. You know, it's... We're still learning. We're still experimenting, I think. And we're open to either way. So I decided to buy our own little bit of equipment. So we did purchase a bear and I purchased the little cat toys. Did I purchase an EMF reader? So me and Mandy did have a really great time. We thought the tour was really good. We definitely would go back again. If you have never experienced such a thing and you would like to, you should definitely go on an Eloise Haunted Tour this summer. I think they're only offering them through the end of July. And because we had so much fun, we're not going to go back to Eloise. We're going to go to the Ohio State Reformatory. Which I've wanted to go here for years. We are going to the Mansfield Reformatory where the Shawshank Redemption was filmed. And we are going to do a paranormal investigation. So it's super exciting. We're going to have our own equipment. I can't wait to go. I'm really excited too. Mm-hmm. So we will be doing a full episode on the history of the Ohio State Reformatory. And then we will bring you a bonus episode about our experience there. So tune in after July 17th to hear about our Mansfield Reformatory Paranormal Tour. If we make it back. So here are the clips that I promised you. I do want to let you know that I took about 50 videos with my phone. So I was I was trying to keep them short in order to not have some sort of big file that I couldn't send somewhere or do something with. And 
it just kind of ended up with like stuff cut out and stuff like that. So I'm kind of piecing this together. We are not like professional ghost hunters by any means. You know, this is just me and Mandy literally just doing the best we can at something we've not done that many times before. Does it seem like there is a spirit interacting with us? I feel like it does. Um, I think it's really weird that the bear and the, you know, EMF reader and the white noise app on the phone are all going off and it all seems to kind of correspond, although not that much is really heard from the phone app. Um, do we think that the phone app is reliable? No, it's a phone app. But I did think that it was really interesting that the three things were able to correspond together. And listen carefully after I, when, when I'm asking, you know, how many spirits are there, specifically like after I say 30, I feel like that's a, a really neat spot of audio. Will you do it again? Are you the piano player? Are you the person me and Mandy were talking to? Did you come down here with us to talk to us some more? Are you the little girl? Are you the nurse, Rose? A patient? Were you a doctor? Are you done talking to us now? Do you want to talk to us some more? On here earlier, it said something about, I asked who it was, and it said Art. Oh. Your name is Art? I think he was the piano player. Were you the piano player? Oh my. Can you play the piano? Is there a Becca here? I heard a yes. You guys heard a yes? I'm not sure. Yeah, but here we go. I'm ask a Becca. Are there more than 10 spirits here? Are there more than 20 spirits here? Are there more than 30 spirits here? Did you have any kids? You had three kids? 
I thought I heard three. What year is it? Who's the president? Are you a demon? Just one demon? Are you spirit of somebody who used to be here? Are you good? It's insane. Are you evil? Take from it what you will. That's the same thing that we did. We hope that you enjoyed listening to it as well. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.